Go, 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 go. Welcome to a very special edition of the Barnhart Podcast. I believe this is going to be numbered episode 131. Very excited. Had lots of feedback on two previous podcasts. Um, one with with the now world-famous Dr. Beep, and the other with the wonderful nurse Claire. And guess what we've managed to do today? We're doing a, a tri-party podcast with both Dr. Beep and and Nurse Claire, who are going to be able to share with us what's going on on the ground as we're recording this today on the 10th of December, 2020. So Dr. Beep, welcome back, and Nurse Claire, welcome back. Great to have you both back. Good to be here. Is yeah, everybody, thanks for having, having is, us. Hey, on. hey, it's, it's, it's our pleasure, really. Is everybody, are you doing okay? Is, are you hanging in there? Everybody still has a job, et cetera, et cetera? For the moment. Yep. Nurse Claire, you go ahead. Uh, well, <laughs> uh, we, we are still doing <laughs> surgery, so I am still working. Elective surgery. Elective, yeah. elective surgery. surgery, correct. Okay. Yes. And Dr. Beep, you still have, you are still gainfully employed in the medical field? I am, <laughs> I am for now. Uh, we'll see what happens, but it's, it's looking good for the short term. We'll see what happens. Okay. All right. Well, um, let's jump right into what we've got. We've got a laundry list of things that we want to touch on that's like as long as my arm. So, Let's dive right in. And Nurse Claire, I told you that I wanted to open up with um, an anecdote that you have that I think is is new. I've not seen this anywhere, and it's extremely important for all of our listeners, and it has to do with life insurance. So yeah. I'll hand it over to you. Well, uh, th- this was totally new to me as well. So uh, on Monday, I ran into an old friend who was lamenting that uh, an acquaintance of hers had lost their mother recently, I think earlier in the fall, and the family was unable to collect on the life insurance policy because this woman's cause of death, despite not having COVID, never having COVID, the cause of death was listed as COVID, and the life insurance policy had in the fine print that it would not pay out in um, cases of suicide, um, cases of uh, natural disaster, and dun dun dun, pandemic. Wow! So wow. this family is out of luck, and they are trying um, every legal recourse possible to fight this. But I, I don't know how you fight something like that. They're they're now talking about exhuming this woman. I don't know if that'll ever happen, but they're very distraught. So check your policy. Holy moly. Yeah. So to say that this is a scam, I, I mean, how conspiracy theory are we really when, when you factor in that hospitals are reimbursed at a higher rate for COVID admissions and now life insurance policies don't need to pay out in yeah. COVID? I mean, come on. You can't make this up. Now, I read something, and you know how it is when you're on the internet, and you see something, and you're dumb, and you don't make a bookmark, or you don't save it in any way, and then good luck ever finding it again. But within the last two weeks, I read something 
where a family was approached, you know, grandma had died, and somebody came up to them, like, real shady in the hospital, and was like, wink, wink, do you want us to put COVID on the death certificate? Uh, why, why is that even a, a question? But, th- but the first reaction I had when I read that is, what, what would be the benefit to the family to fraudulently put put COVID on a death certificate. Can either one of you think, can you, you know, put on your criminal hats for a minute and think of any reason why families would be incentivized to put COVID on a death certificate other than just like psychopathic bragging rights of some sort? Nurse Claire, do you have any thoughts? I I don't have any thoughts other than that. Yeah. Um, Somebody wanting to gin up more attention for themselves yeah. I, I don't know and i wouldn't yeah, put I that mean, pass yeah that... Doc, dr beep go ahead oh i was just yeah i mean that's definitely a psychopathology that we have in our <laughs> society you know we have you know as soon as someone is dead there's people all over social media trying to get attention and, and drama and whatnot but as far as legal or anything else i can't think of any reason for that and i can't imagine I don't know who would have approached them. I mean, it would have had to have been someone involved in the care of the patient. You know, the, the typically the doctor who declares the patient dead is the person that fills out the the uh, death certificate. And I've never ha- I've never even thought about going to a family to ask them. <laughs> what, what would you like me to put? The yeah. Cause of death to be. yeah. It's, yeah, was it the, the years of smoking or was it the truck that hit them? Do you, which one do you yeah. guys want to go with? You know, I that's a weird one for me. I don't know. Well, we know, as Nurse Claire said previously, and we've been talking about for a long time, just in general, um, there's a massive, massive financial incentive, more than I think anybody realizes. Remember in the early days in the spring when um, they came up with the $39,000 per head figure that was an instantaneous reimbursement if the person died on a ventilator? We've, we've since, it's since been revealed that that's just the very beginning of it, that it's, it's more like a quarter million, 300,000 when you get into Medicaid and Medicare and all that. So there's certainly, I don't know, maybe, maybe shady doctors would want to be, uh, maybe playing upon, like we just said, this weird, bizarre, narcissistic, I want to be able to go on Facebook and say that grandma died of COVID. And then if the family were to go along with that, then then the hospital, everybody gets this massive extra payout on it. It's but scam, fraud, but the life insurance thing. When nurse nurse Claire, when you told me that, I that's just amazing. I mean, I knew about suicide. Um, I had a I had a 15 year term life insurance policy that I bought when I was 25 years old. Boy, that was the time to do it because I got a million dollars in coverage for like 360 bucks a year. Um, And, you know, I read the policy. And what's what's quite common on a lot of life, life insurance policies is there's like a suicide window. And on my policy, the suicide window was 18 months. It would not pay out if the person committed suicide for within 18 months of the policy, but it would pay out after 18 months, which I thought was hmm. weird. Uh, I mean, it's it, insurance in general is yeah. so, is such a fraught topic. I mean, 
incentivizing suicide and things. Yeah, I guess they're assuming that if you're planning that far ahead, you're, yeah, you're, yeah, well, you're not going to do it. I guess. Yeah, I guess. Maybe you'll talk yourself oh, out of it. Boy. But um, So the suicide window thing, I knew about that, but it never occurred to me. The other thing, and I told Nurse Claire this when we were chatting about this, is um, when when stuff started happening in, you know, the Obama usurpation and things started getting really, really chippy in, I don't know, the late 2000, maybe after I did the Koran burning in 2011, I called the life insurance company and I asked them if the policy would pay out if there was civil war and I or anyone else was killed in in domestic civil war. And they said yes, interestingly enough. So I think everybody out there should dig out their life insurance policy and read that fine print and look out and be aware and of this watch stuff. Out. Yep. Watch and, out. Yep. And if you're if you're banking on some, you know, on your parents or your grand if there's any sort of if anybody is planning on any income from a life insurance policy, they're gunning I think it's pretty clear that they're gunning for that. And I mean, it's clear that the pharmaceutical industry is in bed with the deep state. I mean, of course the life insurance industry would be in bed with the deep state too. Anybody who's willing to, you know, grease these people's palms and they're called lobbyists, you know, um, anyone who's willing to grease palms can get, can get whatever they want pushed through. And so here they are beneficiaries of this. The, the insurance companies aren't going to have to pay out. It looks like on quite a few policies. So everybody check that out. So thank you, nurse Claire for bringing that to everyone's attention. Um, next thing on the list is I want to hear from each of you reports about, um, capacity, what you're seeing. I mean, the, the, the fake news, CNN, I, just before we started the call, I was reading a a CNN internet piece on how the, um, the hospitals are running at, at 90% and this is the end of the world. And of course we all know this is fake news because, hospitals are designed, built, and the business plan is for them to run at 90% capacity. That's completely normal. And of course, CNN is making this sound like that it's it's the end of, of the universe as we know it. So let's start with um, with Dr. Beep and tell us what you're seeing and you're west of the Mississippi. So what are you seeing where you are? Uh, I mean, so we're, we're a pretty busy place anyway. We get people sent in from all the surrounding regions. So we're usually busy. We're usually full. In fact, this year has been the slowest year that I've ever experienced in my relatively short career. Uh, In the last month, we've gotten busier. You know, it's cold and flu season. Haven't seen much cold or uh, rather flu, uh, as I think is pretty well publicized lately. But uh, yeah, like you said, this is, you know, and, and so what they've done to, they've kind of, they're kind of gaslighting healthcare providers. So a lot of of us are even falling for this whole like the sky is falling trick because we are under so much pressure that's above and beyond what a normal flu season is. So I've worked flu seasons where yeah, we have patients parked in the in the hallways, you know, there's people waiting in the ER for days for beds. We're we're at we're we're, we're around that level right now. But it's not that unprecedented. What is unprecedented is, you know, in order to see a patient, you've, it takes five minutes to get in and out of PPE. 
and it's hot and it's horrible and you're in the suit and oh by the way half the people are gone half the people that work there are out because they've either been exposed or they've tested positive or someone they're close to has tested positive so we're under a much greater amount of stress let me jump in for a minute personal level as healthcare providers let me ask you let me jump in for a second and ask you in your opinion do you think that this staff shortage thing do you think that this is a premeditated part part of a plot do you think that they're intentionally trying to get to keep everybody short staffed to make it sound worse than it is i think i mean it could very well be uh you know part of it is a financial thing uh, I have a f- I have friends who work uh, in hospitals uh, as hospitalists, which is uh, where you basically if you get admitted to the hospital, the hospitalist is the t- typically the person who's doing it. Uh, and earlier in the year, when there were no patients in the at the height of the pandemic, uh, and the hospitals were empty, they laid off everybody, or they told them to go home, or they furloughed them. Uh, and now that we're all ramped back up, guess what? Now you are seeing twice as many patients because they're not bringing those people back. They want to make back their money. Uh, so that might be part of it. Uh, on the, you know, at the ground level, it's really, I really hate to really speculate too much because I don't know where some of these directives are necessarily coming from. Most of it's coming from the CDC. So that would make sense. But at the local level, uh, we're just trying to, to follow directives from above, which can change, you know. Okay. Day. All right. Nurse Claire, uh, same question. What are day you day seeing? And It definitely seems, it seems intentional. It seems bad. Yeah. 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 Well, just to recap um, for people that hadn't heard me in the previous podcast. So I work east of the Mississippi. Um, I have been a nurse for 23 years. The last 15 years I've been an anesthetist um, and I work for a large multi-hospital system that these people are driven by money, believe me. So they don't want to be canceling cases if they don't have to. Um, So along those lines, I will say over the 23 years that I have been doing this, I two have worked multiple flu seasons and it is not uncommon in the winter months, particularly late November until probably mid-February, maybe even early March. um, We are getting emails to discharge patients. Anyone that can potentially be discharged, please discharge and discharge early. Um, Our recovery room is will be housing overflow patients from the ICU. Um, The ER will have a bed crunch. They'll have patients stacked up in the ER that need to be admitted and there's no beds in house for them to go to. That is not happening right now. Where I live, our local news is flooded with the same garbage narrative that you're hearing at the national level as well about running out of critical care beds by mid-December, hospitals being overwhelmed, blah, 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 blah. Not, not what I'm seeing. And I've got friends that work in other facilities. So um, I don't think I have tunnel vision. I'm asking around. I'm in touch with other people that work at other hospitals. We are not canceling elective surgeries. 
some of the elective surgeries that we're doing, in fact, are, are procedures that require patients to be admitted to the ICU postoperatively. Those, those procedures are not being canceled. We are not short on ICU beds. Um, the system that I work for, convenient for me, has set up an intranet webpage where employees can monitor the daily COVID statistics within our health system. Um, and so I'm able to get on there every day and look at, it, it's broken down in three categories, inpatients with COVID, inpatients in the ICU with COVID, inpatients on a ventilator with COVID. And those numbers are just that, they're numbers. They don't tell the whole story. And that's what I want the listenership to understand because the media is reporting these numbers and to look at them on their face, it may seem like, oh boy, you know, we've got 200 people on ventilators here. That seems like a lot. It's not broken down as to why they're on ventilators. And the, the bulk of these patients are patients who are admitted for something and then have a positive PCR test, which we will definitely talk about that later, um, throughout the course of their hospitalization. And, and one of the things that really stood out to me when I looked at these numbers on our hospital system webpage, one of the hospitals in our system is a psychiatric hospital. They have eight patients admitted at that facility right now who are quote unquote positive for COVID, meaning they had a positive PCR test. That facility is a mental health hospital. They don't have the capabilities of treating people with respiratory illness. They don't even have the ability to administer supplemental oxygen. The staff in that hospital doesn't wear scrubs. They wear regular street clothes like it is a psychiatric hospital. Those patients that are listed in those hospitalized with COVID numbers, those are patients who are admitted for psychiatric treatment and just happen to have tested positive. The same is true with the children's hospital in our system. Last week, they were showing one patient with COVID on a ventilator. I was very familiar with that situation because uh, that patient came to the operating room and had a procedure um, and had tested um, positive for COVID. And I spoke to the surgeon personally, myself. This wasn't through the grapevine, blah, blah, blah. I spoke to the horse's mouth and got the story. That was a child who was admitted for rejection following an organ transplant and was in the ICU and on a ventilator because they were being treated for their organ, their, their transplant rejection. That, that child was not intubated and on a ventilator because they were so sick with COVID. And just following standard hospital protocol, they checked this patient for COVID, did a random PCR test, and it came back positive. The surgeon himself told me they never suspected that the child had COVID. The child exhibited zero symptoms of COVID, but here again is counted in the numbers of intubated, ventilated patients with COVID. So 
be very careful when you hear these numbers reported in the media or reported by maybe the outpatient nurse who lives in your neighborhood and goes to work and hears all of this rhetoric and buys into it herself but isn't necessarily seeing it firsthand be very careful that that you're not um being misled by these numbers there's more to it there's more to it than just random numbers um so and the staff shortages that you mentioned and yeah, and i and i actually think that's been a huge factor from the beginning Sorry. The, I, th the, I think there's a delay on 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 here. There uh, is, but you know, it just shows how sorry. how old school and authentic we all are. So <laughs> we're just gonna roll with it. Um, I'll I'll referee a little bit. Nur <laughs> Nurse Claire, go. Uh, I was just gonna touch on the staff shortages that yeah. you that you mentioned because we are we are short staffed right now. First of all, um, our hospital. We had a staff meeting. We were told that despite the lockdown that happened in the spring when we did have to shut our operating rooms and our elective procedures were canceled. We are still on record to do on, on course to do the most surgical volume that we have ever done. So this year will be a record setting year in terms of surgeries performed at our hospital. And so we are busy because of that, but we're short staffed because by contact tracing or through contact tracing, staff are being forced to quarantine for 14 days if they have an exposure, even if they're not sick. So these are people that aren't sick, are fully functional, totally capable of coming to work, and they're sitting at home twiddling their thumbs. Now, thankfully, the CDC in the past few days has reduced the recommended um, quarantine to seven to 10 days. So maybe that will start to alleviate some of the manufactured staffing shortages that we're having. Mm -hmm. But um, we we are we are not canceling procedures, but we are not overwhelmed with COVID patients. So interesting. That's all I can say about that. Now I want to touch on something that Dr. Beep said. I can't remember if if we conversed about this in a private conversation or if you said this on the last podcast that you were on, Dr. Beep, you were talking about the fact that people would come in and they'd go on the drug, help me, remdesivir, that's what it's called, right? Remdesivir. Yeah, remdesivir. And, yep. and you were putting them in as inpatients for five days, and you said that it, it should only take one or two days. So it almost kind of sounded to me like they were trying to intentionally fill beds up to make it look bad. Is that still going on? Uh, well, the, the, the course of remdesivir is a five-day IV course. Mm -hmm. uh, so that in and of itself just requires that they basically be inpatient. You know, we... <laughs> whether or not they're super, super sick or not, they were being hospitalized for five days regardless to complete that, that course. Now I do have a little bit of an update on the remdesivir situation. I, it apparently was being, was being covered financially. It was being paid for each of those crazy high doses, $3,500 a, a vial or whatever we were talking about before. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, apparently there's been a slight change in that. I, and I think it's no longer being re reimbursed the same way and so lo and behold i don't think we're using it as much how about that um how about that so how about that kind of an interesting situation yeah 
Um, and, and, and they're getting in, they're getting, uh, there's some other pharmaceutical companies getting in on the game. Uh, uh, there's a couple of other, um, we heard, you heard of Regeneron. That's what Trump was on. He was yes. sort of touting that. And then there's another one. Bam, oh my gosh. I can't, I don't even know how to say it. Bamlin new. Bam, yeah. Bam, I got the, new, I got a memo about it's that. It's a, yesterday. it's a, it's a different treatment basically for outpatient, but it's also IV. Yeah. And it's, and that the interesting about any interesting thing about that is they're going to make their money. That's a great, if you wanted to invest in a drug, this is the drug to do it. So if you're at, at all into a high risk category demographically for, for COVID, even if you're asymptomatic, we can send you for this infusion. And I don't know how much it, how much it's, it costs, but it's a, it's a monoclonal antibody. And those are, historically very expensive drugs. And so I'm guessing somebody has really figured out, you know, you don't need a five day hospital course. You just need a guy to show up for two hours to get an infusion at an outpatient IV clinic. And you can make a lot of money and the dude doesn't even have to be all that sick. So it's really, uh, you know, and we know how many asymptomatic, quote unquote, asymptomatic cases there are of COVID. So yeah, they've really got this figured out. It's a beautiful system, really. I wish I had thought of it and had no morals. Yeah, you're not sufficiently evil, Doctor Beep. You need to you need to work on developing that. G- give him time, though. He's young. He's young. Yeah. <laughs> Nurse Claire, what hey, do you, you say? <laughs> I think the five day remdesivir course was also a, a significant portion of our hospital admissions because it is an IV infusion, so you do have to be admitted to the hospital mm. um, and stay there for five days, even if you're not really that sick. Mm. So that, um, that was, that was a bulk of our admissions as well. Our COVID admissions, not our inpatients with COVID because not all of the inpatients with COVID are inpatients because of COVID. Mm-hmm. But there was a percentage of COVID admissions, I think that were strictly, to receive the remdesivir. Right. Yeah. All right. Should we nurse Claire? Yeah. Or, and it, and it, I think kind of going back to the, the whole, Oh, sorry. No, I'm, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> sorry. I think I have a huge delay. Uh, okay. Uh, I, I do think that that has been a huge part of it and kind of, I guess, tying back to what we were talking about, the death certificate uh, cause of death thing. Uh, the way that that typically works, like I said, is that a doctor that, you know, the, whoever basically declares the patient dead is the one that fills out this certificate in most teaching hospitals or in most hospitals around the country that are teaching hospitals. The person doing that is going to be some first year intern, some resident, and they're faced with, you know, horrible workload and they're just trying to get through all this paperwork. And most of these death certificates are online and it's a very guided, very strict thing. You can't just like, choose the exact thing that killed them it won't even accept certain answers so if covid is on there at all it it basically is going to end up if it's anywhere on the chart it's going to end up on the death certificate and i'm guessing no matter where it is on there it's going to be listed as the cause of death when right. they come back later and do the their statistical analysis so oh i think something that's to been- keep in mind there as well it's it's yeah. I think that's been proven. It's been proven in the United States and it's been proven that it's going on over in Europe that just if if 
a word that starts with a C is anywhere on that death certificate. It goes straight to the top and that's it. And then you've got, if you watch, if you're dumb enough or sadistic enough to watch social media, but it is interesting to see what the propaganda of the useful idiots, which are mostly young children like millennials, what they're saying. And their whole thing is, well, if, if grandma had stage four pancreatic cancer, and then she got COVID and she died, then it was the COVID that killed her, not the pancreatic cancer. And you just, you just shake your head at at this and you just, you can't believe that people are that stupid and that they can't can't think that through. Go ahead. I actually have an anecdote about this as well, Mm. because my babysitter, (laughs) which is not some, I read it on the internet. I saw it on Facebook person. This is my babysitter that I trust with my children, um, her grandmother, it's a very sad story. Her grandmother um, was living alone, um, was very independent. She had a fall back in February and was admitted to um, a skilled nursing facility, which, you know, we would just call that a nursing home, but she was admitted to a nursing home just for some physical therapy and rehabilitation back in February. And then the lockdown happened and she got stuck in that nursing home. They refused to release this woman. Mm -hmm. Um, And the family was very distraught. You know, my babysitter was her power of attorney. She was trying to get her out of the nursing home and, and she felt that there was just nothing she could do. They were very resistant despite the fact that the family was willing to bring this woman home and blah, blah, blah. They could not spring her. It it was like, I said, how is this even happening in the United States? So anyway, she um, declines. She starts to decline during the course of her stay at this nursing nursing home. Um, and she develops kidney failure. She gets, she's in and out of the hospital with, with uh, diabetes related problems and kidney failure and whatever. And, and they, lo and behold, they find a mass in her pancreas and blah, blah, blah. Well, Part of the law where I live is that all nursing homes are required to test residents weekly for COVID. So she was having these weekly COVID tests. She had one positive test, one, never had any symptoms of COVID. Um, the day after that positive test, she needed to be admitted to the hospital to have a dialysis catheter placed. So They send her to the hospital and the hospital says, see, you have this positive COVID test from yesterday. Let's do another one. They repeat the COVID test the next day in the hospital. It's negative. Mm -hmm. So they said, we'll draw the antibody test. They, They drew blood. They ran the antibody test. Antibodies were negative. So she never had COVID. That positive PCR she had was obviously a false positive. Um, she continued to decline and subsequently passed away. And uh, the family just received her death certificate in the past few weeks. The cause of death was listed as COVID. Of course it was. And they're, they're furious. She yeah. never had COVID. She yeah. never had COVID. And quite the contrary, she was proven to never have COVID. Yeah. And was still counted among this death toll that we hear people beating every day on CNN and whatever else about the, I don't even know, what is it, 300,000 people they're they're attributing their deaths to COVID now? 
this is falsely falsely so elevated ridiculous. number yes yeah and that's that's just one of i'm sure a multitude of examples well, yeah. that launches us in to um, <laughs> Nurse Claire. Put on your hat, my dear. Um, do, sh- okay. Should we should we talk about PCR tests? Should we should we? Is there is there even anything to say about PCR tests, Nurse Claire? I I I know that you have some bullet points that you would like to go over. Well, I this has been discussed at length, and it's actually becoming. Uh, hard to even find information about this because I think there have been enough whistleblowers. The PCR test is does not. I don't. I don't know how to explain it. It, it is looking for fragments of of the protein of this virus, genetic fragments, basically. Um, coronaviruses can have some genetic fragments in common. Oh yeah, and so I I do not believe the PCR test is specific for the virus that causes COVID. That's the other thing people need to be clear about. We're talking about one virus. COVID is the disease that results from that virus. It is the SARS-CoV-2 virus, much like HIV is the virus that causes AIDS. SARS-CoV-2 is the virus that causes COVID. Um, The PCR test is going to pick up uh, genetic fragments from other related viruses, other coronaviruses. And I think, therefore, some of these people who are, are just complaining of sniffles or don't really have any symptoms at all, maybe they don't have the SARS-CoV-2 virus. It's it's very reasonable to say um, that that this test is not specific for the SARS-CoV-2 virus, and it's being made too sensitive by the number of cycles. That's the number of amplifications that the this, this specimen is run through to pick up those different genetic fragments. Um, I, I know I, I had heard from someone recently, Tucker Carlson, apparently did a big piece on this earlier this week. I I should have tried to find it. I'm sorry. But um, the number of cycles that the specimen is run through in this PCR test, the ideal number, I believe, is 35. And you've got labs that are cranking this up to 45 cycles. And so, of course, they're finding genetic fragments of this coronavirus on people who aren't symptomatic and and who are not sick. And let us um, let's, let us hasten to remind the listenership in case there's one person out there who still hasn't heard this yet. Coronavirus coronaviridae is what we up until 10 months ago called a cold. The common cold. The common yes. cold. And so of course they're finding in anyone and everyone incomplete fragments, dead fragments of Corona Viridae that was up your nose because it's everywhere and you can't get away from it ever. There's not never going to be a cure for it. It's just, it's a fact of life on earth that the common cold and coronaviridae as a family of viruses exist. There's no curing this, and those those SOBs know it. 
They know it damn good and well, and that's why they used it. That's why they chose it, because it will never end. I think also what I know you and I were exchanging some messages earlier earlier today, and my speculation is once this vaccine is out and hits the market, they're either going to back down on the number of cycles, making this test less sensitive so that the, the, the number of positives go down, or they're going to ditch it altogether um, in favor of the antibody test, which will also decrease the number of, of true positives. And then they'll say that the vaccine works. They'll use that as proof that the vaccine works. Um, and the reason why I say this is because um, sometime within the last few weeks, uh, last week or the week before, a Portuguese court in Portugal, they have ruled that the PCR test is unreliable. And therefore, any quarantines imposed on people because of PCR results are unlawful. So this is something interesting to keep an eye on. This test that we're using as the gold standard is very, very um, inaccurate because it is too sensitive. The numbers that I keep seeing is that 95% of the positives are false positives. I've been seeing the same 90, 93%. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, It's abject insanity, but... I shouldn't even say that. It's not insanity. It's criminal. This is all this has all been done intentionally. Do you honestly think that Fauci, virologists, all these people at the World Health Organization, all these people at the CDC, do you honestly believe that these people do not understand what that test was and how it worked and and its functionality. Do you honestly think that all these people are not completely aware of the fact that this thing is just throwing false positives and it's, it's pure terrorism. It is pure terrorism. Where I live, I, I, I don't know for an absolute certitude, but I think that the woman who lives directly above me has not been out of her apartment since March has not been out of her apartment since March. <laughs> yeah. You could, you know, you could give every terrorist in the world a bomb and they couldn't do the amount of damage and psychological terror uh, that has been done in the last 10 months. Yep. Uh, to the American people. Yeah, if um, if it's all right with you. Um and 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 I think, you know, we've talked about this before. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, I was Sorry, just going to I was <laughs> going to delay kill me. Um <laughs> I was just going to say, I mean, the side effects of the lockdown lockdowns are stunning. Can we talk about that for a minute? Because I have some interesting well, things, you know, I scratch down some notes for myself whenever I read articles. So if it's all right with you, Anne, yes. I'll just throw this out here. Go. So first of all, since we last spoke, you and I, Anne, uh, on our last podcast we did, there's been two pretty large studies that have come out. One looked at masks and that was the the Denmark study. Mm-hmm. We can talk about that. Oh, yeah. Then there was another, a second study published in the New England Journal of Medicine that looked at 1,800 Marine recruits who were subject to much of the same things that, that we're doing in the general public, masking, social distancing, rigorous cleaning. Um, these recruits were not allowed to have their personal belongings or personal devices. Um, common spaces like bathrooms were cleaned after every use. They were cleaning everything be- between meals um, to reduce the chance of surface transmission. 
And there was statistically at the end of the study, zero difference between the guys who um, were just living and the guys who were put under these quarantine type of conditions. And so the public is being subjected to this. And now no one wants to talk about the effects these lockdowns are having. So I read 60% of businesses that closed are are closing permanently. Yeah. So 97,000 businesses across the United States have been lost. Nearly half of Black-owned small businesses have been decimated and wiped out. Mm-hmm. Food banks are swamped. We see, we see pictures of cars lined up for miles. And nice cars. That's the thing yeah. that's interesting. Really right. nice cars. And these people have like a brand new, have a brand new Toyota or a brand new Honda or whatever. And these are middle class, upper middle class people who have suddenly found themselves in financial dire straits because of a manufactured crisis. Let's be honest. 50%, or I'm sorry, 5% of the UK went hungry during the first three weeks of their lockdown. And 5% might sound small, but that's 3 million people were hungry in the United Kingdom because of this lockdown. More than 40 states have reported an increase in opioid-related mortality, which Mm is, I mean, that's just a nice way of saying overdose deaths. Young adults aged 25 to 44 saw the largest increase in deaths. The death rate in young adults in that age group is up 26.5% from previous years, and only 3% of that were were alleged COVID-related deaths. Suicides are at unprecedented levels. The number, the number one cause of death in the UK among men aged 50 or younger is now suicide. That is, you wanted to talk about something that's terrifying. That is terrifying. Not cancer, not car wrecks, nothing. Suicide. Suicide. Yeah. To quote one ER doctor at a Bay Area hospital was quoted saying, we have never seen numbers like this in such a short span of time. We have seen four. We have seen a year's worth of suicide attempts in four weeks. Mm-hmm. A woman, Kia Carter, who is the director of psychiatry at Cook's Children Hospital in Fort Worth, Texas, in September of 2020, this woman was on the record saying that psychiatric facility, which is a pediatric psychiatric facility, had the highest month of suicide attempts they have ever seen. They had 37 children admitted to that hospital for suicidal ideation. And in Japan, suicide has claimed more lives in October alone than COVID did to date in that country. Mm -hmm. In Ireland, reports of rape and child sex abuse have nearly doubled. And despite having no risk from COVID, no risk from COVID, children have suffered the most. Nearly one in four children are dealing with anxiety, and many of them are at risk for permanent and lasting psychological effects. Their intellectual development has regressed because of the closures of schools. Mm -hmm. Literacy has declined, and physical activity in children is down by 50%. How can anyone say that this is healthy? And worst of all are the child abuse rates. One study, one, just one study in the United Kingdom found a rise in the incidence of abuse-induced head trauma in children is up by 1,493%. All of this 
is for a virus with a 99 to 98% recovery rate. Yep. Bear in mind, bear in mind, if you get this virus, you have a 99% chance of recovering. But this is what we're doing to the world, to the Western world. Because it has nothing to do with a virus. It has nothing to do with health. And I mean, it's, it, that's just glaringly obvious at this point. This is a calculated, meticulously planned, lying conspiracy of diabolical origin of diabolical (laughs) origin to entirely collapse and bring under totalitarian control the entire planet simultaneously and i'm convinced execute a mass genocide by means primarily of um, mass sterilization so i mean what what do you say and it's it's also it's been marketed as a religion And so all of these people, all of these millennials and a lot of the baby boomers, I mean, the the whole world is basically apostate. The entire Christian world at this point is basically apostate. These people have all converted to this thing as a religion. Good luck deprogramming these people from this. They want it to be real. They want, these people look at their Twitter feed every day whenever the national statistics come out and they want the number of cases to be high. They want the number of deaths to be high. They want it to be real. They want their religion to be real. And they're not going to let go of this. That's what's so twisted. It's it's really, really unfortunate. And even with all of those statistics, I, I have the all-cause mortality uh, from 2018 and from 2020 up to... Oh, is this the Johns Hopkins uh, I guess last thing? month. I, I th- well, I think these are numbers from the CDC, but they even with all of these things that Nurse Claire was just talking about, all these things that have increased death, especially among young, productive people, we still, as of the most recent numbers that I've seen, have a lower all-cause mortality compared to 2018. It was the all 365 days of 2018 saw about 2.8 million deaths from all causes. As of, I guess, a month ago or a couple couple days ago, uh, in 2020, we've had 2.4. So unless we're going to lose an under, another 400,000 people in the next 30 days or so, we fewer people have died in 2020 than died in 2018. So if we're in this giant pandemic that is so deadly, uh, on top of all these other things that are killing people or making people kill themselves, how is it that we have such a normal death rate? Exactly. If you know, if you have to have a, a media campaign and you need, you know, and politicians are, oh, we got to do more to scare people. I just I read an article out of New York. We need to really start scaring people because they're not taking it seriously. If you have to have a campaign to, to scare people to convince them that there's a pandemic, maybe you don't have a pandemic. I, and I don't understand how people aren't seeing this. And I, and I really hope that we can really publicize this data about all-cause mortality because I think most people assume that we're, we have millions more people dying this year than we have in other previous years, and it's simply not true. Well, the deaths yeah. are not there. They're, they're playing on the fact that... You, but- you, and that doesn't matter what's on the death certificate. You, this, is, this is no administrative right. trick. This is straight up, this is how many people die. Yeah. It doesn't add up. Exactly. And people 
because people are largely apostate, the the modern mentality is that they don't even want to think about death. They don't acknowledge death as any sort of a reality. They don't acknowledge um, the ultimate end of man at all. So death is is something that incites just abject terror. Even death of very very elderly people is is terrifying to the apostate post-christian west which is why they're able to manipulate people with it how many people die per day in the united states all cause on average it's 7500 it's between 7500 and 8000 when you've got a nation of 330 million people just the way the numbers work every single day 7500 to 8000 people in the u.s are going to die um where we watch Italy very close because you know Italy was is clearly the test market um you know Italy was clearly used in this whole process perhaps with Chinese involvement because of the huge Chinese um population living in northern Italy and all that Italy was clearly used as some sort of a test market how many people die per day every day in Italy well, it's, it's about 2,000. About 2,000 people die every day in Italy. What the all-cause mortality statistics prove is all they are doing is they're taking deaths from influenza, bacterial pneumonia, anything, absolutely anything, and they are reallocating those deaths and calling them COVID. And the all-cause mortality stats just nail that down there's no way in hell there's no way in hell that influenza was eradicated in in late march of 2020 that's just that's that's abject nonsense it's also abject nonsense that death from heart disease in a nation of fat asses pardon my language, and death from diabetes in a nation of fat asses just ground to a halt, and, and hardly anybody has been dying from these things since late March. It's obvious what they're doing. They're just reallocating the, this steady stream every single day, 7,500 deaths a day. Okay, how many of these can we take and reallocate? And they're pushing it because now they're pushing it up to about, they're over 3,000 a day now they're trying to claim. Um, and of course, remember, when I say 7,500 a day, that's a straight up pure average. That's not seasonal in any way. More people do die in the colder months because of influenza and bacterial pneumonia and stuff like that. So you're going to have, oh, the, the other statistic that's fascinating is up until 10 months ago, straight up average every single day in the United States of America, between 150 and 200 people every day in the U.S. died of influenza. Every day, straight up average. If you looked at it on a seasonal level, because hardly anybody dies of it, you know, in the heat of the summer, as we've seen, but then you have, you have this big shoulder in the cold months. So in the cold months, you would have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people dying of influenza every single day at the peak of the flu season. Are you not, is nobody asking themselves, why in the hell did nobody say anything about any of this up until 10 months ago? Nothing was said about this, and now 
anybody who dies, if, if, if there's any way to, to turn it into a vector of terrorism and panic, they're all over it. Anyone who dies of influenza who's under the age of 60 is, is damn near national news at this point. That's been going on all along, which kind of segues me into another topic. We need to dish out some tough love here, and this is um, um, launching off of something you said, Dr. Beep, in your, um, in your last podcast. You said that every person that you've seen die of this crud, whatever it is, was obese. And we need to just throw down some tough love here and say, look, if you are fat, if you are obese, you're at risk of dying from flu, from bacterial pneumonia, just any, any respiratory infection. If you are fat, you are setting yourself up to be in a much worse position. And you know, I mean, what do you, what do you want us to do? That's on you. It's, it's your responsibility to make sure that you don't weigh 300 pounds unless you have, you know, unless you have some sort of a thyroid condition or something. But that's, that's not what's going on in the U.S. Everybody's fat. That's the problem. And so, yeah, if, you're, if you get some sort of a bug or you get the crud and you weigh 300 pounds, you're at significantly higher risk of that thing turning into some sort of a potentially lethal situation. Whereas if you weren't fat, that, you know, you'd get a chest cold and you'd shake it off like everyone else. Dr. Beep, do you have anything to say about that? Yeah, I mean, I've been kind of harping on this for a while, uh, you know, and, and everybody's talking about, you know, government intervention to force people to wear a mask or to force people to stay in their house or to close their business. Where the heck is all this talk when people are killing themselves with burgers and donuts and not taking their medications? I mean, think of the children's chemo that we could we could afford. Think of the research into, uh, you know, childhood cancers or autoimmune conditions or whatever that we could put forward if we weren't spending, I don't even know, hundreds of billions of dollars a year uh, taking care of diabetic patients alone, just diabetics, type 2 diabetics who refuse to take their medications and to take care of themselves. Yep. Nurse Claire? Uh, If I could send a, you know, I would never do this, obviously, because I'm not a tyrannical a-hole, but if I could send (laughs) a government agent, sorry. Go, 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 (laughs) go. If I could send a a government agent to their house to make them take their insulin, it's not like we don't know how to treat it. You know, it's it's crazy. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's it's, type two, that's, is it fair to say that type two is basically 100% preventable? Yeah, it's a largely self-induced. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Carl Denninger over at market-ticker.org, who's been a commentator for years, he, th- this happened to him personally. He looked in the mirror one day and he was fat. And I think he was pre-diabetic or might have even been diagnosed as type two. And he just, you know, the, the guy's all about objective reality. And he just sat down and said, this is completely unacceptable. I've done this to myself. And his, his solution was he cut all carbohydrates from his diet and started jogging and lost all the weight, all the weight. And all of the diabetes went away. It just completely went away. So, yeah, go ahead. Well, I, <laughs> I think... 
this is so maybe rude. Um, I think type two diabetes is a very just big manifestation of the mentality in the United States. The lack of accountability that people want to have, the lack of responsibility. Um, the epitome of that is when you're walking through Walmart and you see someone who's in a scooter with an oxygen tank and, and has, you know, swollen legs that clearly they've got venous stasis, their blood flow in their legs is impaired from, from their weight, from their most likely type two diabetes. And they've got cases of soda in their cart, yeah. you know, like not diet soda. Um, people don't want to take responsibility for their health. And we have one of the most overfed, but malnourished populations, I think, that in our history that we've ever had. People are overweight, but very malnourished. And I was reading something last week. I commented to my husband, um, upwards of 90% of the world is deficient in zinc. Um, a, a large percentage of people are, are deficient in vitamin D. You know, we eat all these this food and we're overweight, but we're not eating good food. And if you really want to reduce your risk of COVID, if you're a big COVID believer and you're really afraid of this, the best thing you can do to keep yourself healthy is to cut out the sugar because that's going to feed inflammation and infection. Um, cut out the sugar. Take some vitamin supplements. Take some vitamin C. Take some vitamin D. Take some zinc supplementation. Boost your immune system naturally. Don't take this vaccine. Ugh. Uh, and wash your hands. Don't wear a mask. Masks are filthy. You're rebreathing your own filth. We we beat that topic to death on mm -hmm. the last podcast that we did. And now we've got a big study that came out of Denmark with, with nearly um, – 6,000 participants came to the same conclusion. Masks aren't doing anything, and they might even be making you sicker. Wash your hands, get rest, clean up your diet, take some nutritional, some vitamin supplements. The, the Denmark study was really important because it was a controlled study. 3,000 people wore masks religiously. 3,000 people never wore masks. That's called a controlled study. Fauci when when asked about um, masks and what what about doing research on this, you know what Fauci said? Fauci said, no, we can't do any controlled studies on mask wearing because that would be unethical because the people who didn't wear masks would certainly get sick and, and die and it would be unethical. Oh, you lying piece of crap. That guy, that guy has got... <sighs> He's got it coming in. He's got it coming in this world, and he's got it coming in the next. If he doesn't repent of this, that that man, he's gonna be. He's on track to be in the pantheon with Hitler and Stalin and Mao. And I'm not exaggerating at all. He's he's on the track to enter that pantheon. He is definitely a swamp creature, to say the least. Uh, but yeah, the Denmark study it, it got published. It finally got published in the Annals of Internal Medicine, but these the study authors had to shop around to find a journal that would actually publish that study. This is how politicized medicine has become. Mm -hmm. the, the dissenting voices like Dr. Beep and me, we, you go to work, you can't say anything because the, the cancel culture is very real within medicine. And I really want people to recognize that these 
physicians that you're seeing on television that are the so-called experts, they're not the only voices out there. Um, and what they're saying is largely um, a weapon. Medicine has been weaponized for politics at this point. Mm -hmm. I think I mentioned to you, I don't know if I said it on the podcast we recorded or if I said it to you privately when we were just um, speaking. Mm -hmm. But when I was pulling literature to on masking to do that podcast with you, I was appalled. There's studies going back to 1920. Yeah. Looking at masks and the reduction of um, viral disease with by masking. And all of those studies said masking doesn't work yep. and it might even make you sicker. And then you get to April of 2020 and all of a sudden, all of a sudden, we have all these pro-mask studies. Would, it, would it, the laws of physics change? And, it, and now it's being criminalized. Not even, yeah. not even censored, but being criminalized, um, speaking against masks. And um, in terms of the cancel culture, I think we saw the first, was it in Oregon? Uh, Oregon. Phys a physician got his license pulled for speaking against masks. So it's, it's literally at this point being criminalized to speak against something which is clearly and obviously at minimum a weapon to terrorize people. At minimum, it's something that is intended to dehumanize people and could, all, and could also be actively dangerous and incite staff and strep, especially on the face, which the, could then very easily migrate down into, into the respiratory system. It's, um, it's obvious what they're doing. It's, and it, people, I, I'm one of the only people because of the freedom I have because of my state and life to, to draw the connection between the new world order and Islam in terms of all of these objectives and, and things that they're carrying out. The covering of the face exactly as Islam demands of women, of, of women are deemed to be lower than animals in Islam. And so the women have to always have the face covered because it's dehumanizing, because it keeps people, um, it keeps people under control and in a, in a completely submissive position and posture. And most people will not even, won't even dare broach the topic of how the New World Order agenda and Islam and all these things are lining up. You can't go to you can't go to mass. The celebrate the private celebration of Christian holidays is banned, even in private homes. Um, the performance, the public performance of music, is banned, and they I think they want it permanently banned. Um, alcohol, there's a war on alcohol, obviously with the shutting down of restaurants, et cetera, et cetera. And you just keep going down the line and every one of these objectives matches up with an objective of Islam. And I think the masks are one of the most um, uh, egregious, clear cut, obviously visible um, parallels between this and Islam, because the father of the the father of lies is the father of all lies. You know, it's Satan is at the head of Islam. Satan is at the head of Freemasonry and the New World Order. It's all the same thing. Um, and I'll, I mean, the, the talk about something that nobody wants to touch with a ten foot pole. That's that's a big one right there. 
Well, you can't see me, but I'm nodding my head. (laughs) (laughs) Dr. Beep, what do you you think about, about masking and all that? Oh, I just think it's so absurd. I mean, I think we had talked about it as well uh, in our last podcast about how the studies just aren't there. The evidence is not there, despite what they may say now. And I, I would ask any physician or healthcare provider who is who is listening, have you ever, prior to March of this year, April this year, ever told your patients or recommended to your patients that they wear a face mask out in public for any reason ever? Uh, and the answer is, almost inevitably going to be no, unless maybe you're an immunologist and you had a patient with just an absolute deficiency of some kind as sort of a last ditch effort to protect them. But I must say that anecdotally, and you know, obviously because this could change, I could be diagnosed with COVID tomorrow, but the people that I know who have been diagnosed with symptomatic COVID are the people who are most religious about wearing the masks, Mm, uh, including (laughs) in 95 masks all the time going around. And so I just find it kind of curious uh, that that is the case. But yeah, no, you're 100% correct. And you know, just as you just said that, I just had, I just had a thought go through my mind. I would ask all the listenership, everybody who's listening to this, and I'll write up a written post on this too. You know who we need to be asking that question? Was it ever, ever recommended to you ever to wear a mask? Is people who are HIV positive or have full-blown AIDS? Because if anyone was a poster child to be wearing a mask and protect yourself from all sources of of viral infection, um, don't you think... Don't you think the people who actually have a virus that attacks and destroys the immune system, don't you think that they would be the people that would have been told that you should be wearing a mask? I don't believe I have ever, ever seen any film footage of some sodomite laying in a bed, dying of AIDS, wearing a mask. I don't think I've ever seen that. Have either of you guys? I can't say that I have either. Yep. Isn't that something in all of my training I've done? Yeah, I've done multiple rotations through infectious disease uh, specialties, and I've never seen that ever. And I've never seen it recommended even during flu season uh, ever. So, yeah, no, it's completely absurd. Yeah. (laughs) That's all I'll say about that. My blog just writes itself. There's tomorrow's post. Why weren't the homosexual men who are HIV positive and dying of full-blown AIDS ever told to wear a mask? Ah, okay. It, and it ain't because it ain't because they oh there was a conspiracy to kill them now Fauci kind of had a conspiracy to kill them by giving them AZT. That's completely different. They were they were never told to wear one because it doesn't do a damn thing, and if anything, it's filthy and disgusting. Disgusting, and it'll probably uh, if you have no immune system, it's it's probably going to hasten whatever whatever's going to kill you, whether it be pneumonia or cancer or whatever it is. It's just disgusting. All right, let me look at my notes and see. What else we need to talk about? Uh, Well, you know, just vaccines in general. We need to talk about the science of vaccines. Let's start with Dr. Beep, because I know you kind of did some pre-study. What do you want to say about vaccines? So in general, uh, vaccines, I am not anti-vaccine. And I don't just say that because uh, I'm trying to preserve my profession. It theoretically makes sense. Uh, 
we have, you know, way back people, oh, we had the cowpox, the inoculated people, they didn't get smallpox. It makes sense that if you expose your body to bits and pieces of virus or bacteria that aren't deadly, it will have a memory so it can fight off infection later on. That being said, I'm also not anti-sandwich. Uh, you know, if if you make me a sandwich with nice fresh meat and some vegetables and mayonnaise, I'll eat it. But if you give me a mystery sandwich and it kind of smells a little bad and you are really insistent that I eat that sandwich. I ain't eating it. <laughs> I'm probably going to. I ain't going to eat the sandwich. So to me, yes. So, you know, and and the I didn't realize I've done a little bit of reading, but really vaccines are not all that well studied before they're approved, mm-hmm. even even in the best of cases. Uh, I don't know, Nurse Claire, have you are you familiar with this kind of process at all? Have you looked into that? Um, I have, and I also don't have a problem with the theory of vaccines, but my issue is the additives to some of them and the fact that we really don't know the long-term effects of these things. They are manipulating yeah. the immune system, to some extent the endocrine system, and we don't know um, if you're vaccinated with something as a child, how it's going to affect you on into your adulthood. Um, I mean, I, I obviously a large issue I have with most vaccines is the fact that the involvement of aborted fetuses, whether it is in the yeah, research and development absolutely. and production of the vaccine or in the testing of them. So that negates a lot of them right there. But um, uh, I think I had sent to you earlier, I, I remember in my career in 1999, there was a vaccine released on the market that was, everybody thought was pretty well studied. Um, and it was for rotavirus, which is an infectious uh, diarrhea in children that would make children very, very sick and resulted in many hospitalizations um, in a, the span of years, you know, for kids that would get this. And so they came out with this vaccine, they sent it to market. And within a very short span of time, there were there were major complications, um, specifically in a susception, which is like where the bowel, telescope in on itself. Um, So these children were getting very sick and the vaccine was pulled from the market. But how can anyone think that something, this, this COVID vaccine, something developed so quickly can possibly be safe? And I would add that these vaccines, particularly the Moderna and the Pfizer COVID vaccines, don't even utilize the old technology that most vaccines, like you said, involve the injection of a dead or attenuated virus to stimulate the immune system. This has a completely different mechanism of action. And there's no way that we have any idea, even the short-term effects, let alone any long-term effects. No. And that's, that is the biggest problem that I have in general with vaccines. Uh, They're all fairly uncertain long-term effects. We know that some of them seem at least to have associations with autoimmune conditions uh, in some ways. There's some uh, that seem to have a, a association with uh, febrile seizures in kids. I know that there's an association between if you get the flu shot and then you also get a pneumovax uh, at the same time, uh, you're a, at a much higher rate of, get, uh, much higher risk of having febrile seizures as a child. 
um, yeah, we those are you know typical vaccines. We know that at least most people aren't going to have problems right away from most approved vaccines. Uh, so if you came to me and you said, "Hey, we have a dead virus vaccine for COVID," it's however effective. I would say, okay, well, at least we know that most killed virus vaccines have been out on the market for a while. We know, yeah, this class of vaccine generally does this or that. This, like you said, this is something completely new. And they've tried mRNA vaccines before for influenza, for Zika, um, for a couple others. I didn't know that. They were not effective. Let me jump in. I didn't know that because I've, I've read things that said that a year ago today, mRNA vaccines were not only untested, but they were completely theoretical. So you're saying that mRNA vaccines have been executed before? They've been in test phases. I I don't think they've ever been tried in humans. Uh, actually, I take that back. I think they have been in very limited trials, but they were almost completely ineffective, and they had pretty serious side effects, uh, if I remember correctly. So the fact that they're all of a sudden out of the blue, they've got this technology just perfected, supposedly, which, by the way, I just want to hit on something real quick. Uh, you know, one of the reasons we always say, oh, you need to have broad herd immunity through vaccinations is because, well, there's some people that it won't be effective and some people can't get the vaccine, whatever. If this truly is as effective as they say, only the most at-risk people should need to get it, right? Right. Because there's a 99.8% chance that if any of the three of us get this uh, get this illness, we'll be completely fine. Uh, but so why would we need to get a, va- a vaccine that's 95% effective? You know, exactly. It, it just none of it makes sense. But yeah, they've they've tried these mRNA things before and they were unstable and the immunogenicity was not really there and it didn't last very long. So I'm just highly skeptical. Yeah, it has it hasn't even according to their own numbers, which are BS, the efficacy rate is statistically lower than the survivability rate. That right there says this is bull. No, nobody needs to be getting this. I mean, that's just common sense. But again, common sense isn't common anymore. Um, and we're already seeing all kinds of reportage. The one I just saw a few hours ago in the UK, the, the, the UK started giving it to people um, first within the last several I don't know how long it's been, if it's been weeks or days. But anyway, they're already seeing a lovely incidence of Bell's palsy, which if you guys don't know what that is, um, you probably are familiar. The only times I've ever seen Bell's palsy was from um, ladies who it happens to during pregnancy. And your face is completely paralyzed on one side. And folks it's it's not a good look it's not becoming um for most ladies it it self-corrects but for some of them it doesn't it's a permanent facial paralysis look it up it's it's easy yeah, to find pictures speaking, of it bell's palsy speaking of pregnancy oh yeah yeah, yeah. speaking, speaking of pregnancy, of pregnancy yeah they're, they're, yeah, so they've already they've the I think I can't remember the the it's the association of the I don't know the College of Maternal and Fetal Medicine MFM. They have already come out and said, you know, this has not been tested at all in pregnant women. In the in this in the very short amount of the short time that we've been studying this has not been tested in pregnancy at all, but we we think that it's probably better to get it because it's most likely safer oh, to get the vaccine than <laughs> To, to risk being pregnant and getting COVID. Well, but uh, did, did you see what they say, though? Okay, now, 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 
let me, let me lay this out and you tell me what this smacks of. Apparently, they're saying that you're going to have to get this thing every six months. And they're saying to women, don't get pregnant two months before or two months after getting it. And you're going to have to keep coming back in and get it every six months. You know what that sounds like to me? That sounds like a Depo Provera shot to me. You know, I'm not saying that it's Depo Provera, but it's exactly the same thing. Don't get pregnant two months before. Don't get pregnant two months after. But you have to get it every six months or else we'll take away your entire ability to have a job, to have a bank account, to have a mortgage, to travel freely, etc., etc., etc. Oh, to be able to enter into any sort of a business or restaurant or anything like that. Um, so what they're basically saying is in order for, for breeding age females to be able to participate in society, you may not become pregnant. And by the way, who, who knows, maybe this thing is, maybe it does produce, um, something that attacks the spike proteins that are involved in placental formation and you ain't getting pregnant anyway (laughs) yeah go ahead nurse claire take it Uh, no i no you you said it i mean there's some uh whistleblowers out there um let's see i had it written down here i'm trying to find it there there are some whistleblowers out there who are saying that this vaccine can cause an immuno reaction and immuno response to a developing placenta. So you get the COVID vaccine, you may never be able, you may conceive, but you may never be able to actually carry a pregnancy. Your placenta may not develop and you would miscarry. Right. Your body, your body will attack the placenta as being, um, the foreign body that the so-called vaccine is supposed to attack. Bill, Bill and Melinda Gates foundation, their entire agenda is population control. They don't, they don't give a crap about health. 100% of what these people are about is population control and they openly say they want to reduce the human surface population by 90% in a matter of decades. There's only one way to do that. You can't murder enough people. You can't starve enough people to achieve that. The only way you can achieve that is mass involuntary sterilization. And and the thing is, we, we maybe maybe it's not true. Maybe that isn't true. Maybe maybe this is the safest vaccine we will ever see in history. But we don't know. Mm-hmm. And and to be expected to take a chance like that when mm-hmm. you will 99.9% of the time be just fine from the wild virus itself, why would you take a chance when we don't know? They're already coming out already. Like, like you said, like three days into it being released, they're already coming out with new things like, oh, well, crap. It looks like this is not safe for people who have a history of anaphylaxis. So yeah. if you've ever had severe allergy reactions to anything, you can't get it. Uh, oh, I don't know. There might be a connection to autoimmune stuff. So eh, if it runs in the family or you have it, like maybe, I don't know. We don't know. They're kind of starting to hedge their bets. This is, it's completely uncharted water, but you're being forced to eat the sandwich. You saw the latest, the, the latest today, the latest today in the UK was, oh, by the way, don't be alarmed if we give this to granny and she dies. That's all. That's all. I'm, I'm not kidding you. That. Oh, that's totally normal. Death, 
permanent sterilization, perhaps permanent facial paralysis. Don't be panicked. That's all completely unacceptable. Yeah. Yeah, there was an article out there where this nurse so uh, this this nurse got it the she was part of the study she got this thing and she literally she had been around vaccines before and she felt like she was going to die she had a fever to 105 she oh was my. she was convinced she had needed to go to the ER and then and now she's being trotted out and now she's like oh I would definitely do it again cuz it's definitely important it's like dude if you had gotten coronavirus there's a very good chance you wouldn't have even known and now you've suffered and who knows what kind of long term effects you may have we don't yep. even know yeah how, what <laughs> are you insane? It's a yeah, religion. That, I think that the whole don't be alarmed if people start dying thing was hilarious. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh my god! Uh, it, it goes back to the it's a religion thing, and it's you know if you if you want to take Lucifer at his at his word and that he's going to ape everything that's good and holy, he's he of course goes after all the sacraments. I was thinking about it, and I'm I'm convinced that the the fake vaccine is for them the luciferian inversion of the sacrament of confirmation or chrismation i think that's what it is in the sacrament of confirmation you know you're you're sealed with the gifts of the holy ghost and you know you're fortified and strengthened and think about what this is it's exactly the opposite you you receive this luciferian chrismation and um you're weakened um, and and you're and you're forever sealed and forever marked with this Luciferian mark. If you the more you think about it, the more you realize that the vaccine looks to be the the Luciferian inversion of the sacrament of confirmation. So it's and it just it just going off on on another little tangent that I've got in my notes here before I forget. Let's hasten to remind everyone. Now, everybody knows that I hate the United Nations, and I think that it is it is from the pit of hell. But I also think that, you know, sometimes you use the enemy's um, uh, book of rules against him. There's a UN treaty drafted after the war in reaction to the Nazi atrocities. Um, and I've posted this on the blog, but we'll put it again in the show notes. Article 7 of this thing strictly prohibits in every instance and in every case um, forcing people to participate in medical experimentation against their will. So I'm thinking, okay, if you've got some UN treaty and these people all all swear up and down that they that they worship at the altar of the United Nations and, and the world government, well, in their own documents, they have an international treaty that strictly forbids involuntary uh, medical experimentation. If that's not what this is, I don't know what the hell is. <laughs> it's clearly involuntary. It's clearly coerced. Yeah, if anyone thinks that we are safe from that in the United States, since World War II, the United States has broken that. I I don't even know how many times, but at least a dozen times that we know of. Uh, They sprayed the West Coast of California with biologic agents in the 40s and 50s. Uh, they've injected people with nuclear stuff. The new, the nuclear uh, radioactive experiments in the New Mexican desert, the people downwind of that were being studied against against their will and without the knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, the, I mean, they've, the United States government itself 
has engaged in this before. As recently as the 1990s, I think, uh, they were, I actually have it written down here somewhere, the 1995 uh, evidence surfaced that the biological agents used during Gulf War had been manufactured in Houston, Texas, and Boca Raton, Florida, and tested on prisoners in the Texas Department of Corrections. Um, wow. They, <laughs> If you think that you live in the in in the United States and you're safe from this stuff, you are not. You're not a lab rat. I'm not a lab rat. We have not consented to be lab rats, but that is exactly what's about to happen if you get this vaccine. You are a lab rat. You're consenting basically at that point, whether you really want to consent or not, uh, to being experimented on with something that we don't understand. Typically, you know. A new thing like this is going to be tested five to 10 years, run through all kinds of animal safety tests and limited human trials. We bypassed all of that. Yep. And now you are the, now you're the lab you rat. Are. So you are keep that in the, mind. The phase, yeah. You mind. are the phase three trial. Exactly. You are the trial. Yep. Um, and, and just, was it today or yesterday, the New York state assembly introduced legislation to mandate the COVID-19 vaccine in the state of New York. It's not even received the emergency use authorization Oof. from the FDA yet, but these Insane. totalitarian communists in New York want to make it mandatory for all citizens of that state. And people must stand yep. up against this because I assure you that New York will only be the first domino to fall. If this would yep. go through yep. in New York, you can expect many other states to follow and you will have no, yep. no recourse. And, and Yep, and as of right now, we don't even have the insert for these vaccines. We don't. Oh, sorry, we, we don't even know really what's in these. Uh, we don't have the exact figures and facts from the trials that have been done. But I know, and if you go and are you you're told by your workplace that you need to get this, I would you know ask them. Well, has this been tested for people that are on X, Y, and Z medications that I'm taking, or with these conditions? I have rheumatoid arthritis. Has it been shown to be safe in people with rheumatoid arthritis? Or what about people that are pregnant or nursing? or trying to get pregnant? Or what about co-administration with other vaccines? I'm, I'm about to go get my flu shot. Is it okay that I also get the COVID shot at the same time? We don't know. They can't give you an answer on that. Exactly. Uh, and that alone is, it's terrifying because who knows? Like we know, in, you know, after the fact kind of, of data, uh, like I mentioned earlier, if you administer the flu shot and the pneumonia shot at the same time, at least in children, you see a much higher rate of uh, febrile seizures. So mm -hmm. we know that there are these sort of synergistic things that can happen, but they, we know nothing about that with this vaccine. Absolutely. It's all about coercion and they're going to swear up and down that this isn't coercion, but it is. If somebody says to you, well, no, you, you don't have to get, you don't have to get a vaccine. Now, of course you won't be able to work here anymore. Um, we're going to have to pull your license. So not only will you not be able to work here, but if you're in a licensed profession, you're not going to be able to work anywhere else. But I mean, you don't have to do it. And no, of course you don't have to do it. Now, of course, you're not going to be able to have a bank account. And, and you know, now that cash is outlawed, which that's coming, by the way, um, you're not going to be able to have a bank account and there's no such thing as cash anymore. But, but you don't have to get it. And, or, or just anything or you, you don't have to get it but you know you can never leave you can never be outside of a one mile radius of your home ever again but you don't have to get it 
Okay, this is coercion. Of course it's coercion. This is some of the strongest coercion that you can come up with. Well, you don't have to get it. Now, of course, you're not going to be able to keep your children. We're going to have to take your children out of your home. But you don't have to get it. And on and on and on. Yeah. Well, and anyone who thinks that this is some crazy conspiracy theory, I would encourage you, just look at the airlines. Just look at the airlines because already we don't have, we do not have FDA approval of these vaccines. Yet, despite that, the airlines are already disclosing that they will require you to be vaccinated against COVID in order to fly. Mm-hmm. This is very yeah. provable there, statement of fact. This isn't wild yeah, conspiracy exactly. theory conjecture. Nurse Claire, I I I wanted I was curious, kind of curious where your work. What's their sort of take on it? Have they given you any guidance about whether or not yes. this is going to be quote unquote mandatory for you guys or yes. what? Yes, yes. So we received notification last week that we will not be mandated to take it. Dot 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 yet. Um, and I I'm told that, yeah. that that the reason for that is because. These drugs are still classified as experimental. They've not gone through all of the clinical trials. And so legally, um, the hospital cannot mandate us at this time. Yeah, that that's, I'm that's, sure will change. That's the in same the verbiage that they used on us. Yeah. And I know yesterday we yeah. had 2,000 doses arrive at our hospital um, already. And I spoke to one of the pharmacists yesterday and she said they were not told which vaccine it is even the head pharmacist does not know so we're storing these vaccines in our hospital and no one's even told what they are so i don't know which vaccine are is even going to be um distributed at my workplace but i'm also concerned about shedding you know are are these employees going to get vaccinated and then be shedding live virus for 14 days that they're potentially going to be making people around them sick that's always a concern i don't know that that the clinical trials have even borne that out i don't know these are all very valid questions and people who rush to take this i think are being very foolish absolutely i agree and and one other thing that i i had mentioned to someone the other day because everyone i don't know how it is where you are at least publicly, most of the physicians that I've talked to are very gung-ho, very pro-vaccine in public. And I've asked one of them, I said, well, you know, I think something like 21% of of the people in these trials experienced very significant side effects uh, immediately after receiving the vaccine, you know, body aches, fever, high fever, 105, you know, feeling very bad. Um, When they show up to work the next day, and 21% of their coworkers all have the same thing, uh, at least. Are we going to send them home? And now we're 21% down from where we all already are with our skeleton crew. How's that going to work? Are we just going to assume, hey, you know, this is a side effect of the vaccine and yeah, you should continue to work? Or, you know, at the questionnaire on the, at the door, like, hey, do you have body aches and fever? They're like, yeah, well, okay, well, you have to go home now. Uh, what's that going to do? Yeah. Um, you know, that's going to decimate the workforce. Uh, at least in the short term, it just is, they haven't even thought these things through. No, it's, it's going to be extremely interesting to watch this play out. Very interesting. Have they not thought it through or, or maybe at the very, very top, they have. People that are not taking the vaccine. I I don't know. I'm disappointed in some of my, I mean, the more suffering pain that you, 
that you inflict, the more control you have. Right. But I'm very disappointed in um, people that I, I work with and have done so for years and I respected and thought they were really smart. And there is a fair number of people that are very excited to get this vaccine and very convinced that this is the right thing to do. And yep. I, it's guys, it's really scary. It's really scary what's happening. Yeah, a lot of people are really gung-ho about this. The propaganda is thorough and complete. I mean, there is people who question things in the beginning of all of this, I think, have started to slowly been picked off and are believing the narrative. I, I don't have television. I don't watch television, but I'll catch glimpses of it when I'm at work and it's on in the in the lounge and the rhetoric on the news is just shocking. And I'm part of me wants to be very angry with people that are buying into this and going along with it, with it. But part of me, I can't, I, I pity them because really they've been so duped and so manipulated. Yeah. They're being subjected to a super powerful propaganda, uh, apparatus and, and, and the news media itself, all they have to do is put uh, write an article with a title that's that injects fear and it and it confirms the fear yeah. that people have already been injected with. I, I saw one the other day. I think it was the South Dakota governor who's been really outspoken about this. And she was recently the, her mother, I think, died in a hospital. And the way that they phrased it was uh, governor of South Dakota's mother dies at the peak of covid uh, take case positive for covid oh you say that say that again because you cut out there pretty bad say that again the what did they say what did what was the propaganda about the mother of the of the governor of south dakota so the her mother died uh apparently recently and the way that they phrased the article title was uh governor of south dakota her mother died at the height of covid hysteria basically while the governor herself was downplaying the effects of COVID, uh, implying that her own mother had died from COVID while she was out there poo-pooing the whole thing. But when you read the article, her mother died of natural causes of and course. tested negative, actually, for COVID multiple times. So yeah. it's – but yeah, yeah, it just – the propaganda is just unbelievable. The lying, this bold-faced lying yes. yeah. is unreal. Yes. Which gets back to the point that we made earlier, the numbers – all they have to do is blast numbers across the bottom of the screen or in a headline and people don't read the whole articles anymore article anymore and people don't ask questions so all they have to do is put the numbers out there and like i said the numbers don't necessarily tell the whole story no the hospitalization numbers are really no. irrelevant and, and like and like we said earlier the the total deaths are not up and the 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 census at the hospital is not overwhelming i, I literally just looked at my phone and there's a, I have a, a picture of a headline from Time Magazine from 2018, January 2018, quote, hospitals overwhelmed by flu patients are treating them in tents mm-hmm. in the parking lot. Mm-hmm. This is from 2018. So yeah, not unprecedented. We've seen this before, but people have such short memories that even, even doctors are being like, oh my gosh, we're completely overwhelmed. Yes. Even staff Uh, is starting to buy into some of the propaganda. And I think to myself, do you not remember last winter when our recovery room is full of flu patients? Yep. (laughs) You know? 
And then if I can, just to kind of wrap it up with one more completely depressing thing, circling back to the conversation about sterilization, I wrote and posted a piece a few days ago just reminding everybody that um, most people of breeding age in the post-Christian apostate world, if you say to them, here's this vaccine, by the way, this thing's going to permanently sterilize you, the reaction will be, sweet, cool, awesome. Do, do I have to pay extra for that? These people want to be sterilized. They view it at, they're not scared. It doesn't scare them at all to hear that they could potentially be sterilized. It is, it's no problem for them at all. They don't want kids. They, and they view it as great. Now I can have sex and I don't have to be, I don't have to take the pill. I don't have to use condoms. This is, this is just a bonus to these people. And I think a lot of people, especially in our listenership and readership, they don't appreciate that. They don't appreciate how truly suicidal and, um, autogenocidal this culture is that these people these people don't want to reproduce they have no interest in it and if you tell them that the human race is going to shrivel and maybe even go extinct they've bought in they're 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 not christian first of all so they're they're just in the culture of death anyway um a lot of them are quasi-pagan and have bought into worshiping the earth and all of that and they honestly believe that human beings are an infestation on this planet. And, you know, the universe would be a much, much, much better place if human beings were exterminated. I think a lot of people, especially in this listenership, do not appreciate, don't have any idea how prevalent that mindset is amongst young people, people who are in this window that would be affected by being sterilized. Um, it's... It's uh, that that's one of the most terrifying aspects of all this. So even if even if they came out and announced that this thing had sterilant qualities, oh, people would still be lining up to get it and they'd be they would be stoked about it. They would be stoked about it. So, yeah, and, and exactly. Very true. And, and I and kind of is part of that. Uh, I just looked up the percentage of women on contraception mm -hmm. uh, as of oh. the, the time period 2015 to 2017 is the latest i can find 65 percent of women were on some sort of contraception so oh, there's going to be a large low, number of the, the kind of people that are not going to get this vaccine yeah yeah the kind of people that are not going to get this vaccine are people like us who don't use birth control anyway uh, and some of us then just there's going to be a us, huge number of people. <laughs> wait, wait, wait! I have to jump in here. Some of us aren't married and therefore don't need right. any contraception. So you two are in a different category than me. Ha ha ha! Yeah, exactly. That was funny. <laughs> what? Yeah. What, what, I'm, what I'm getting at is we're we we may not find out right away whether or not this does cause sterility. You know, yeah, if a good no, number of the people that, that don't get the vaccine be, yeah, aren't on that, aren't, be, aren't, yeah, I mean, and then that's five years from now, these people are going to come off birth control yeah. and try to have kids and it's going to be a mess. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. This, this will be but, yeah. five to 10 years from now. And who knows if we'll link it to the vaccine. Well, yeah. I mean, th then they'll say, well, it's not that it's this. And, you know, it was. It was the solar flare or something. They'll blame it on anything else, but they, they've got they've got plausible deniability, and they have a huge time lag, relatively speaking, for things like this between the time that they're injecting people with this and people start looking around and saying, 
oh my gosh, nobody is having any kids. Nobody is having any kids. And they're going to say, what in the hell happened? And then, you know, the, the, all of these Bill Gates, Bill and Melinda Gates will be, you know, whistling and, you know, looking up at the, at the cornice board on the ceiling and trying to play it off like they don't know anything about it. And um, they, th- they think they're going to get away with it. They may get away with it in this world, but they're not going to get away with it in the next. But again, people like that, it's pretty much like screaming at the wall, trying to tell Bill Gates, you know, look, look, dude, you're, you're on course to be like Hitler and you're going to go to hell for all of, all of eternity. <laughs> he doesn't care. He, he's just going to laugh at you. They, they do not care. They don't believe in any of that. They probably all believe in soul annihilation. They absolutely do not care. All they care about is satisfying their lust for power and control over other human beings in this world, essentially trying to be God themselves, trying to say who lives, who dies, do you work, where do you work, do you travel, um you know, do you, do you go anywhere? Do you do anything? They want to have totalitarian control over that. And most sane people just cannot get their heads around this. So these people can never be satisfied and they will never, ever, ever stop unless their supernatural intervention or in this world, they are forced, they are forcibly stopped you can take that however you want to take that. Um, can you not say the same thing about Hitler? Hitler was never, ever, ever going to stop unless he was forcibly stopped. Now, he ended up blowing his own brains out in the bunker, but he did it because, you know, he had the Soviets coming on one side and the Americans coming on the other. And but but then that now there's probably people listening saying nah he fled to Argentina he lived he lived out his life in Argentina or something oh, that's another rabbit hole who the hell knows but um, these people don't stop they do not stop they are not satiated and they're not going to walk this back because as we kind of started out with this is the largest crime against humanity that has ever been perpetrated and if they stop any of them, including the mid-level apparatchiks at this point, they're complicit in it. They can't stop because to stop and to say, wait a minute, this is all this is all a lie, they're admitting their own guilt and their own complicity in the largest crime against humanity ever perpetrated, which obviously, let's just say it, let's just put it on the table, it's a capital offense. We're looking at capital punishment here, um, and nobody's going to do that. So... When when you get into a situation like that, when you're in a criminal when you're in a criminal situation, so many people involved, and it's a capital level situation, um, the way it resolves is with war. Um, that's that's the way it it works out. And is it now? Is it later? Is it next year sometime? Is it five years from now? Is it 10 years from now? Or does this drag on for decades like the Soviet Union dragged on for decades? I don't have the answer to that. I'd I'd like to think that it won't drag on that long, but boy, people people really have the capacity to disappoint your 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 hopes and things like that. So we'll just keep doing what we do and um, we'll just try to keep 
keep being good Catholics and, and do what we can and keep fighting the good fight and putting down on the record, everything on the internet is forever. So, you know, for the three of us, at least, there's, there's going to be a record that's probably going to survive for quite some time that we tried to do something. We were trying to help people understand this. And sometimes that's the best you can do. You can be the Jeremiah or the watchman on the, the watchman on the wall. And, and that's, that's your role in life. And it's not going to be glorious and you're not going to get any glory in this life. And we'll probably all end up, you know, meeting unfortunate and unpleasant ends, but Hey, the, the, the biggest end is the beatific vision and that's what we're gunning for. So we keep fighting the good fight and running the race and that's all we can do. Well, kids, we're, we're at a buck, we're at a buck 45. Um, I think we'll wrap her on up. I think we've, <laughs> we've covered a lot of ground in this one. If, uh, as, as developments continue, we will hopefully be able to do another one of these again in several weeks or a couple months, just depending on how things go. But I can't thank you enough. Dr. Beep, thank you so much. Nurse Claire, thank you hey, so much. Wonderful insights. And, um, Quick plug in the wrap-up for Super Nerd, who, of course, isn't here on the call with us, but he does all the post-production. And um, so if you received any value from this podcast and you would like to return some value for Super Nerd's production um, labors and also for his hosting of my website and and servicing of my website, um, his website is supernerdmedia.com, and he does have donation modules there. Um, you know where where you can find me barnhart.biz as always gonna keep fighting and we've got more a lot more to come in fact I am I am recording a podcast in just a few hours with Mark Doherty and Dr. Matza because we're gonna have to pivot and talk about the anti-papacy again because you know there's like so much happening and it's all connected but you know so be on the lookout for that and um, thank you all for your, for your support and your listenership and your kind words and your prayers. Be assured of mine and that the holy sacrifice of the Mass is offered for you at least once a day. And until next time, I'm Anne. Thanks, guys. God bless.